Welcome back to the second episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. My name is Cam, I'm your host, and today will be another solo episode. I initially had the intention for this episode to be a rather large collaboration, but with my limited editing skills, I've realized that project is going to take a bit of time. And so knowing that I can do this one-on-one as a Q&A format very easily with no editing, I decided to do that for now. So guests will be coming in the future. I have some pretty amazing people that have already agreed to have some conversations with me, which I'm very excited about. Um, But for today, it's just you and me uh, with a rather wide scope of subjects related to intimacy, dating, sex. We're going to cover a wide range of things and topics that are not often discussed. Um, I think that talking about these things is pretty fascinating because at their core, the message is is so universal, you know, whether you're talking about porn or masturbation or cheating or dating apps or, yeah, the semantics of of playing games when relationships are just starting out. I think these, these topics are fundamentally rooted in our desire as humans to be loved and to feel safe and to feel worthy. So we're going to try and get to some deeper truths about these topics, not just some superficial stuff. Okay, let's just dive in. Question number one is, what are your thoughts on porn and can it ever be okay? So porn is not innately evil. I I actually, you know, don't think anything is innately evil. So as a theme that's probably going to carry through this podcast on the regular is it's less about what you do and more why you do it. But when it comes to porn, it's a very slippery slope um, of a habit for a few reasons. So our way of interacting and reacting in the world is predominantly rooted in our subconscious neural pathways that we create through experience and repetition. Many of these pathways are developed as children, which is why exploring childhood experiences or trauma is so important to healing the way that you operate as an adult. Because these neural pathways, they're basically the like the go-to response when something happens. And so when we get triggered in a certain way as an adult and our automatic response is X, Y, or Z, these are things we learned when we were younger or were conditioned over and over through repetition and experience as adults. And so when we watch TV, movies, or porn, um, our brain actually gets taken into this theta or delta state where our body and mind don't actually know that what we're watching isn't real. It's why, you know, you get lost in a movie or you feel emotional watching a movie. Like your your body actually thinks that you are experiencing that thing, which is great for entertainment, but also you have to be aware that the things you watch actually are reprogramming you to operate in the world in a certain way. 
So this is why hypnosis is so, such a powerful tool for getting rid of addictions. You know, people will get hypnotized and clear a smoking addiction. And it's like, it's pretty wild anyways. And um, it's also why EMDR works, that rapid eye movement therapy. And it's why teachings by people like Dr. Joe Dispenza or Lacey Phillips, these, these deep subconscious reprogrammings, that's why they work. And so the porn that you watch is priming your subconscious to be turned on in that way. No different than hyper palatable processed foods. If you consume too much graphic porn, your sensitivity will decrease uh, and you'll be increasingly needing more sugar, fat and salt, or in this case, hardcore porn to get off in your uh, real life. So is this innately good or bad? Well, it's really up to your vision of what you want for your sex life in your real life with real humans. Um, if you're looking for a monogamous partner, for example, that's going to love you and support you and care for you, watching gangbangs is 100% going to get in the way of you cultivating that real life connection. Because a big part of intimacy with a partner, a husband, a wife, whatever, you know, whatever kind of vision you have for, for a life partner, even if it's polyamory, if, if, the, if the root of what you want is sacred sexuality and deep connection, the type of porn that turns you on is going to be very problematic if it becomes um, too hardcore, aggressive, abusive. And not to mention all the unrealistic expectations that are created in our mind by watching mainstream porn, you know, on a physical level and emotional level too. Unrealistic bodies is so obvious um, from the way that people groom themselves to the way that they look physically. For the general population, it doesn't look like that. And so if you are constantly watching real thin women, for example, get off, odds of you appreciating um, other types of bodies or even appreciating your own body it, when it comes to arousal is slim. So yeah, being mindful of, of that is a big thing. And on an emotional level, I do think that mainstream porn on the whole is pretty toxic because to me, sexuality is, is sacred. And sacred sexuality is about two people coming together to worship one another. And so, yeah, when we explore, let's explore sacred sexuality more in depth. It's a very big topic. We'll do it probably another time. But in principle, getting paid to have sex on screen is not sacred. It could be empowering for sure. Um, I think most of the time it probably isn't empowering if I'm being real about the way I see the situation, but empowering or not, uh, sex on screen for money is not sacred. So I'll finish off by looping back to porn and the hyperstimulation and the neural pathways that we create as a result. I think the best way to know what kind of dynamic you have and if it's healthy or not is to back off uh, dial it back and can you can you be turned on without porn can you climax without porn um, 
We'll talk about masturbation a little bit later in the episode, so I won't go too deep on that subject right now. But essentially, can you get turned on and climax by yourself? And what about non-visual stimulation like erotic storytelling? There's an app called um, Dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A, that tells erotic storytelling. And Or what about just music? Um, the Weeknd's album, a three-song three album called House of Balloons, to me is the most erotic thing I've heard probably in my life. So if you don't have that ability to just listen and connect with yourself and get aroused without the stimulation of watching something, um, I would suggest tapering back and exploring the subtle sensations. And it's actually a fascinating world too. I mean, in Chinese Taoism, it's called sexual kung fu. And the Indian tradition of the same, I mean, same parallel is called Tantra. And it's about regaining control and mastery of your sexual energy with practices like semen retention or edging. It literally rewires your brain to find deep pleasure in the subtleties uh, without the modern day sprint to come. So when, and I mean, live your truth at the end of the day. I don't think there's anything wrong with that sprint once in a while. Um, it's an energetic release. It feels good. But if it's your automatic way of engaging when it comes to arousal and sex, uh, it's not going to lead to a more meaningful, deeper connection to yourself or to your partner in real life. So just realize that the things you do experience behind closed doors will 100% impact your real life. Just because no one has access to your browser history doesn't mean you get to leave that experience in the bedroom. The porn that you watch or don't watch is going to influence your real life romantic relationships and even the dynamics that you have with the opposite sex in general or the whatever your your sexually drawn to men or women or both it will impact the way that you operate in the world so just get real with yourself and then make choices accordingly okay question number two there are quite a few questions on the topic of cheating so i I lumped three questions together and i'm just going to go on a bit of a ramble The three questions are, have you been cheated on? Why do people cheat? And can you recover from infidelity? I'll start with, why do people cheat? Obviously, it's not a black and white answer. Um, But what I will say about that is that it takes two for someone to cheat. I think it can be useful to see relationships as the three circles, you know, you and your life, your partner and your partner's life, and then a third circle that is the relationship. And if the relationship falls apart, it's a doing by both people. It's not, it's not a person who is right or wrong or good or evil. And we have tendencies as humans to paint people as being, Uh, good or bad 
But the reality is that cheating is almost the symptom of a broken relationship as opposed to the thing that breaks the relationship. And culturally, we seem to value or believe that cheating is the worst offense that someone can do to their partner. It's the ultimate betrayal. When in reality, there's a wide range of betrayals happening from one person to the other in both directions that lead up to infidelity. And so examples are just, you know, belittling your partner, passive aggressive behavior, dismissing, putting them down, um, not honoring them, not treating them as, you know, a sacred person, laughing at them, mocking them. There's, there's all these little things that we think don't matter as much as cheating when the reality is those are the seeds that are being planted that will ultimately manifest themselves as infidelity. So playing the game of bad guy versus good guy and the bad guy being the person that cheats ultimately is going to do nothing for either of your happiness as individuals or as a couple. I know this because I've experienced it. Um, I was cheated on by my long-term boyfriend, my first boyfriend. We dated, I was trying to recall the, the age and, and how long it was. Honestly, it was so long ago. But I we started dating when I was about 15 until... 18 or 19 when I left for university and so we started dating in high school and dated for most of my high school time and broke up the actually it's hilarious story I might as well tell it so there's something called the turkey dump uh, which describes so in, in Canada Canadian Thanksgiving is about a month and a half after the start of university, the first semester. And it's a very typical thing that people will come home from school. I was studying in Montreal and I'm from Toronto. So everyone kind of comes back to their hometown for the holidays, for the long weekend. And that's when a very high percentage of people break up from their high school relationships because so much has changed there's new exciting this and that so i will leave his name out um, just to respect his privacy but he and i got together as soon as i got home and i told him about this term this hilarious term called the turkey dump and how funny it is just as a concept that people are coming home for thanksgiving and getting dumped by their partners Little did I know I was about to get dumped. Um, so yeah, he broke up with me. And without wanting to, I could tell the whole story would take way too long to get into. But long story short, he breaks up with me. And I find out just prior to exams, which would have been about two months later, that the reason he broke up with me is that he cheated on me. And didn't 
ultimately didn't have the strength to tell me that he cheated so it was easier to break up with me and the reason for the breakup was actually the reason why he cheated um he said it was really hard for me to be away with all these new people because he was still um, pretty much surrounded by our high school friends and I had gone off to McGill in Montreal by myself and everyone in my photos, everyone I was connecting with were completely strangers to him. And so he was feeling very, it was hard for him to deal with. And so, so when I found out, when, uh, it's a whole story in of itself of how I found out, but it's not so relevant, so I'll just skip it. I felt a lot of different things, which in retrospect, I think that experiencing this heartbreak was a massive catalyst for my like waking up and becoming a much more conscious person and compassionate person actually, because part of me was shattered, part of me was relieved, part of me was actually happy. A big part of me was very sad and a deep part of me knew that I actually played a role in generating what led him to cheat on me. Um, Being in this new place, I was super enveloped in my new life, my new friends, my new school, this new chapter and I took very little time to make him feel safe and special as my partner. And I was so young, you know, I was 18, I was nine, I think still 18. So at its root, we weren't communicating. We had a lot of fun. It was young love. Um, yeah, we had fun, but we didn't communicate. We we spoke about things, we laughed a lot together, but there was no awareness about sharing that inner dialogue about our fears, about Yeah, he we didn't have the platform to even have the strength to embark on a long-distance relationship and get through it. There was essentially no chance. Um he was feeling left out. He was feeling ignored. He was feeling jealous because all these people in my photos, like there's one memory that stands out in particular where um, I'm sitting on a guy's lap and he's kissing my cheek. And I remember um, my boyfriend at the time, this guy lost it. He was like, what, like, what are you doing? Who are these, like, who is this person? And I was like, oh, he's gay. Like, there's no there's no romantic thing there but he was a very handsome guy and so in retrospect of course like the way that I was behaving was pushing him to cheat on me and this isn't about victim blaming at all um, I'm not saying that the the other person causes the other person to cheat it's not like that but it's a dynamic and it takes two people that have not expressed their wants and needs or felt safe enough to express their wants and needs within the the, the dynamic that causes someone to cheat um, from my experience 
so yeah, there's a few questions you can ask yourself um, if you find yourself uh, being cheated on that are definitely triggering to the ego. Um, depending on your history or your childhood, it might be nearly impossible to do this work until you've unpeeled other layers. But it can be very powerful to ask yourself, what role did I play in pushing my partner away? And in what ways did we fail as a couple to communicate our wants and needs? Yeah, at its core, cheating is at the very least a failure of communication within the couple. And that's why having a foundation of open and honest, non-judgmental communication is just so important. It's invaluable if you want to have a a successful relationship. This is an interesting exercise too that will absolutely be hard to digest for some people. But ask yourself this. If your partner comes to you and goes, hey, um, so I'm really tempted to sleep with my coworker. I don't know where this is coming from because I love you and I value our relationship and... Um, I want to be monogamous with you, but it's something that I can't stop thinking about. So I'm at a loss. Like, let's talk about it. For most people, the thought of that is unfathomable. But to me, it's a profound sign of a very healthy relationship where there's no codependency and where you're actually a team as opposed to someone who's going to feel betrayed by the thoughts alone. Like if, if your partner and you can't communicate on that deep, deep, deep level, I just think it's so important. Um, and the tone is set from day one it's why it's so important not to play games with people from the start which is a whole other question in this episode so we'll save it but yeah communicate and also in regards to to cheating like what is monogamy to you what type of relationship are you in this is a conversation that is rarely had between two people but it's important to define what monogamy is. Even relating back to porn, like what place does porn have in your relationship? Um, and getting really clear on where the boundaries are for your, for your dynamic between the two of you and how you relate to the outside world. I had an ex who... Uh, he used to jerk off to porn that was opened up next to a photo of a girl different girls all of whom we knew and I discovered this by showing up to his house one day and he was sleeping and his laptop was open and well it was pretty obvious what was happening and it shocked me and I quickly just, well, I initially left and then I came back, hit the um, browser history to see that it was a very regular thing that was happening with all different girls. 
some of my close friends, some some of his close friends, many of our mutual friends. And yeah, in retrospect, like, fuck. (laughs) I didn't even know what to do with that at the time. And it didn't, it was very, very painful. But more than anything, it was confusing because where is the boundary when it comes to infidelity? If you're masturbating to photos of people that you both know and getting off on that, is that cheating? Um, Is emotional relationship cheating? Like that's something else I really experienced in that relationship. Both he and I had very close friendships of the opposite sex that in retrospect were 100% not in line with a monogamous relationship and we were both doing it almost justifying it because the other person was doing it but that as well when it comes to cheating like we we place such a big emphasis on the physical aspect of cheating but and as long as you don't you know, kiss or sleep with or what is cheating? Like define this within within your relationship. Have the conversation. What ask your partner what do you, what defines monogamy to you? And it's maybe not the sexiest conversation, but at the end of the day, it's going to bring you closer and on the same page. And so when we just live with assumptions I think it's just dangerous and we're constantly pushing boundaries as humans so if what you want is fidelity define fidelity what does that mean and and then to wrap it up my thoughts on can you recover from infidelity You absolutely can, but only if the infidelity acts as a catalyst for completely transforming your relationship to one another. So for many people, the the art of communicating authentically, you know, sharing your inner dialogue and your deepest fears and showing your shadow, you know, not hiding any aspect of yourself, that's that doesn't come out for many people. It doesn't happen at the start because there's fear of being judged. And then if you're not authentic from the start, at what point can you show that side of yourself? So if infidelity acts as this you know, gateway into, well, now we have nothing to lose, so let's put all our shit out on the table. Um, this is all of me. And if both partners want to heal from that and take their relationship to the next level, of course. It's it's basically a second marriage, but to a new person, but to your same spouse. Like, the Esther Perel, who is the queen of this subject, she's such an inspiration to me. She has two fantastic books Um, I forget the name of the one on infidelity, but the second book that really transformed my life is called Mating in Captivity. And she, I'm going to paraphrase it, but she has a quote that goes along the lines of most people will be married three or four times in their life. 
but only a small percentage, um, it'll be to the same person or something like that. And that's the thing is like, if both people can shed their ego and step in to the second or third phase of their relationship together as new people, of course you can overcome. You can overcome anything, but it requires a lot of introspection, a lot of ego shedding, a lot of inner child healing. Um, you know, people do it all the time in relationships. There's there's many steps at which we essentially are in a completely new relationship. When you move in with someone, new relationship. When you get married, whole new relationship. When you have children, these are such like mind, totally mind-blowing shifts that you're essentially in a new relationship with the same person and that can happen after infidelity, I believe, if both parties are willing to do the work and show up authentically. Okay, question three is dating apps, yay or nay? So I've done a 180 on my beliefs in regards to dating apps. I used to be very against them. It just didn't fit in my head with this vision I had and of how to meet someone. And although I still am grappling with that conceptually, I definitely have had a different experience recently with um, being back on a new like style of dating app. I think it's important, like always, that your intention is going to dictate your relationship to the act. And so with dating apps, get really clear on what it is that you want to achieve from them. And it's useful to also understand the different apps and how what kind of person they tend to attract in the past when this years ago like 2014 when tinder was pretty new everyone was using it it was the only app to use that i'm aware of and it was pretty much a hookup app and more so than ever now after taking these four years off of dating I thought I'd give it another try and it is pretty bottom of the barrel stuff at the moment on Tinder. So I do not suggest that if what you're looking for is a actual relationship. So someone had re- recommended Bumble to me, which is another app where girls are in charge of making the first move. I think it's 24 hours. If you don't if you match and then don't message the person within 24 hours, the match goes away. Which is cool. I like the 24-hour disappearing act, but what I don't like is the woman power move thing. To me, it just it's not a turn on. I really love the power of the masculine and I think that this is a huge question too, actually. It's it'll it's an upcoming entire episode about the masculine and feminine and the polarities of of chemistry and all that. So I won't get too into that. But personally, Bumble was not a thing. I just I think if a man is interested, I like him to show interest. And I yeah, wasn't for me. 
And then I swore off dating apps again after that. I was like, okay, Bumble seems like the most empowered one. I'm just not into it. And then a friend told me about Hinge pretty recently and how she met a super conscious guy through it. And I was like, wow, there's hope. So I downloaded it. And it is definitely, as far as I can tell, the most promising one when it comes to meeting genuine people um, and having a deeper connection. But like anything, intention is paramount. When I was on Tinder years ago, the last guy I dated was, I only went, I've been on one, maybe two Tinder dates in my life. And I dated one of the guys from it. One we just hung out, wasn't really, we just didn't click. The second guy I dated for a while. So you can meet your, you know, you can meet authentic people on any platform, but yeah knowing the general vibe of a dating app is useful and then of course your intention is absolutely paramount one of the interesting things that i'm i'm finding about online dating that i never really gave it credit for in the past is that you get to see a few sides of someone before judge just blatantly judging them on a date and it's hard to judge someone on a first like of course we're judging someone we're trying to like see the potential of what we want in a partner so to not judge when it comes to first dates is just it's not happening you're everyone's definitely judging but what i like about meeting first through an app is that you get to well this is two-sided because ironically it's the most judgmental thing ever right the initial swipe is 100% based on superficial shit but if you get past that first swipe and you match with the person you get to yeah communicate with them from the comforts of your own home where you feel more comfortable you don't feel judged and you can express yourself without nerves and I think that that is probably the biggest pro when it comes to dating apps is that there's a safe container that you can kind of build a bit of a rapport relationship with someone from behind a screen and so because there's less nerves you can more easily be yourself and see if there's potential there beyond like the fact that a first date is super nerve-wracking for most people definitely for me um but the key there is to be yourself. So not taking the opportunity of the distance and the time of like texting to put on an act. Um, I think it's very problematic when people ask their friends how they should respond to a guy or a girl, just speaking from experience with a guy. So, you know, when I was younger, this happened all the time. I am very good with words. I mean, I do it. I'm a writer for a living, but even when I was younger, before this career happened, I, I'm good at expressing myself. And so friends would often ask me to like the best response to give. And I did it often. Actually, this is a crazy story. I won't name names, but a friend and her boyfriend. So he was moving overseas for a job and they had been dating pretty casually for a while but he yeah he was moving overseas and the the vibe was he was going to go solo was kind of how it was panning out 
and that they were going to try long distance or just break up. There wasn't a lot of communication. She was a pretty shy girl, like beautiful, lovely person, but had no idea how to go about this. So knowing her and her feelings towards him and what she wanted to express, I literally wrote the letter, an email that she sent to him expressing like her deepest emotions, her fears, um, her feelings for him and how she basically wanted to make this work. And yeah, he ended up proposing to her as a result. They got married. She went over to the States with him. They now have a kid. And I'm not saying I, I didn't cause any of that, but I definitely wrote I think the letter that basically shifted the potential of them breaking up over like major commitment. Um, My point, this kind of sounds counterintuitive to my point of don't get your friends to answer your texts and stuff, but I was expressing her deepest truths. She just had a really bad ability to share her, her heart with people. And what I see more commonly when it comes to to dating and, you know, flirting and texting and games and stuff like that is that the intention is to get the person to like us as opposed to sharing our deepest truth in our heart. And so although you're operating from this the safety of your own home when you're starting off just texting someone or messaging through an app, don't censor yourself. Don't tailor your, you know, your hobbies or your interests or what you're doing. Don't lie. Do not lie. Because if you lie from the start, even in microscopic ways, if you're censoring the person that you are at your core, it's not going to work. You know, we just talked about infidelity this is infidelity. If you're being dishonest about who you are, you're being unfaithful. So don't set the tone for a relationship in that way. Um, okay, back to that. I feel like I'm digressing. But yeah, ultimately, nothing is going to trump the primal connection that you have with someone that is like the scent and magnetism that can only be known when you are Uh, one-on-one with someone so don't wait too long before hanging out with them yeah I guess that's all I have to say about dating apps it's really your intention it can be fun it can be a great way to meet people I know that what pushed me to get on hinge is this um, corona situation that has basically shut down a lot of socializing um opportunities and I already live in the country so slim pickings but yeah I think it's your intention and it can be fun but always check in with how you feel and check into your habits in relation to it like if you're mindlessly scrolling for three hours laying in bed not healthy so check in with what it is you want to achieve out of the app and also be really honest if what you're looking for is hooking up with someone tell people that from the start Um, and don't be mean holy shit some people are so mean on the app it blows my mind 
And I know it's projection. So if you have the inclination to be dry or rude, check in with where that's coming from and from inside of you because just don't be mean ever to anyone. The next question is, do you think there's any place for coyness slash game playing, such as playing hard to get with someone new? Or do you think this is more just blocking our authenticity? So my thoughts about this topic have evolved dramatically over the years. As a younger person, as a girl, as a young woman, I definitely used to think that if you showed too much interest in a guy, especially early on, that it would uh, push them away. And this is a wide-held belief with many people. Um, it's being preached, like, bless the, the podcast, the relationship-type podcasts that are quite hilarious, where girls are constantly telling stories of their, like, drunken escapades and uh, one-night stands and how it's it's still very much a part of our modern our modern narrative that if you play hard to get you're going to keep a guy's interest and that uh, once he falls in love then you can give it away because then you have him like trapped so i think that's a huge huge issue to navigate from that place um because to me i'm attracted to consent like i I didn't always think this way, um, but essentially you should be turned on by being chosen and being chosen by someone who is choosing all of you, not a filtered version, not um, just your, your, your highlights, not just your good moods, um, all of you. Because the way that you enter a relationship sets the tone for the entire relationships. If you're playing games, you're going to get yourself a player. If you're not being authentic, don't expect your partner to be. Um, And if you're not authentic from the start, at what point are you going to start being authentic? Um, The dominant submissive game of like playing hard to get and all that stuff it is definitely arousing. It's it's actually a core reality when it comes to chemistry. Um, but that has nothing to do with playing games in the sense of tricking someone into liking you. Um, I think there's a huge place for that type of consensual gameplay. Um, once there's a sense of safety with a person and yeah that container of at least knowing that you're both participating in whatever type of like game you want to play but not when someone is trying to get to know you and you're putting on a facade like if you have to trick someone which it is it's it's being inauthentic so if you have to trick someone into being attracted to you by being absent or or deceiving them in any way what are the odds that they're going to want to play that game again with someone else once 
the you that wants uh, commitment or monogamy goes away. Like once you you become this new person, like, hey, so back then I was super absent, but actually what I want to do is talk to you all the time and get to know you and see how your brain works and get to know your heart and feel chosen and wanted by you. Like show up as that person and realize that it is going to repel some people, but that's not your person. If you engage in games, the likelihood of it being a codependent relationship or that they're being like, you know, you're you're playing back childhood traumas and trying to have different outcomes is pretty high. Um, find someone who sees you and who chooses you as a result. And on the flip side... It's important to cultivate self-awareness about how you show up in a relationship, not only at the start, but throughout. And it's important to heal your shit so that you can show up whole. Um, You know, okay, playing games usually means playing hard to get. But being needy and overbearing is equally as problematic. So it's finding the balance between the two which to me is ultimately going to be rooted in self-worth um when you have high self-worth you are not worried about rejection because you know what you bring to the table and you know that you're worthy of love innately um And so you don't take it personally and so you don't feel the need to play any game with someone to trick them into liking you because ultimately you know that the right person is going to come along who sees you for what you are and at the end of the day you're whole whether you're single or not. So there's no like pressure to be in a relationship or to have external validation to make you feel loved and worthy. So yeah, whether you're feeling the need to be playing games like playing hard to get or if you feel overly uh, emotionally invested from the very start the likelihood of there being inner child healing work to be done is really high Uh, for me until I did that work I was literally only attracted to emotionally unavailable men Um, the good guys that I dated I got bored of within a month or two and so if you find yourself needing games to stay interested like congratulations you have inner child healing work to do um one way that you can start exploring these concepts is write down the most prominent adult romantic relationships that you were exposed to growing up obviously your parents being a major one but not just your parents um recall your best friend's parents and what type of relationship that they had and um, taught you any babysitters or nannies or other family members whoever is relationship you were exposed to significantly flesh out what type of love they taught you and it can be also useful to journal on the first on the type of love that you want and the type of relationship that you want and then really flesh out the relationships that you were exposed to as a child that taught you how to love. Um, personally, like I'll share three of the relationships that I, I learned from. So two being my primary school best friends. 
one of them, her dad had a very obvious porn addiction. Um, I won't get too into it, but like we were very aware of this from a, a super young age. And eventually he cheated on her, my friend's mom's best friend and left her for um, her mom's best friend. So majorly fucked up dynamic on so many levels. Second, one of my closest friends growing up, both of her parents were alcoholics and emotionally abusive to one another. And then my my nanny that I saw, I believe from the six months onwards when my mom went back to work, she, her husband had a second family in the city. Like we lived in the suburbs at the time and yeah, he literally had a second family um, that he would go visit in the city. And so these relationships are how I learned to love. And as children, to protect ourselves, to feel safe in the world, we normalize abnormal behavior to feel okay with our reality. So for the longest time, to me, a healthy relationship, you know, that starts with authenticity, communication, um, no codependency, no enmeshment, no playing games that was unfathomable because the types of relationships that i was often exposed to as a kid were so toxic that that imprinted on me and that is the type of relationship that i sought for a very long time and so yeah if you're if you're really turned on by games or you feel out of control emotionally or that you're trying to manipulate reality when at the start of a conversation uh, of a relationship because you feel like that's necessary explore that and I promise you you're gonna unearth some pretty interesting stuff and the cool thing is you can absolutely heal and reprogram from all of it so if what you're doing is disconnected from this like ideal vision that you have about your life you have to bridge the gap with doing the work there's just no other way okay the next question is what are what are your thoughts on masturbation can it be done consciously or is it always wrong so nothing's right or wrong Uh, it's always going to be intention over action A good place to start would be how you feel afterwards and unpacking that is is going to require some self-reflection getting real with yourself because on one in one hand there's a lot of cultural conditioning conditioning when it comes to pleasure especially women and pleasure a lot of shame um, passed down by the church and yeah, a lot of institutions that make this subject taboo. And so exploring how much of your shame is conditioned and how much is actually your deeper truth telling you that something's not right. Um, one very plausible reason why there could be shame and maybe it be more warranted would be your relationship to porn 
Another con um, when it comes to this topic would be that for men, more so than women, um, is that ejaculating significantly drains your jing, your life force. And this life force is the type of energy that circulates in your body, not only for sexual energy, but it, um, it generates chi, which is just your life force. And it's the energy that you use to make things happen in your life. So cultivating practices um, like semen retention is very powerful for men. Because orgasm and ejaculation are not the same thing. There are so many resources um, that you can learn more about this stuff. The Multi-Orgasmic Man is one book that will dive deep. There's also The Multi-Orgasmic Couple is another book um, that explores these Mm. principles and actually practices and um, tips on how to do it. And then another con when it comes to masturbation would be um, the hyperstimulation that comes with certain sex toys like vibrators, which can be, you go to zero, from zero to 100 very fast and it's super stimulating and it's, you know, a quick bang for your buck, but it will desensitize you over time. And so relying on hyper stimulating things when it comes to sex um, can is an ideal especially if your vision is uh, reaching climax with your partner if you only ever cultivate the self-awareness um, in like solo play with electric things then the odds of you finding pleasure with a partner are very slim Um, The pros with masturbation are pretty profound um, if done intelligently and mindfully, like empowering yourself with self-awareness, with a deeper connection to your body um, for self-acceptance, self-love, having so much shame, guilt, taboo around Uh, sex and our bodies in general I think that reconnecting with that root chakra like your very base is so important Um, and as a general rule you can't expect somebody else to pleasure you if you don't know how to pleasure yourself it's just such a fundamental realization that I don't think I had until like deep into my 20s Um, there is this expectation for many people that your partner should be able to satisfy you, but having, every body is different, first of all, and every person reacts differently when it comes to sex. And so really knowing yourself and knowing what you like and cultivating the ability to communicate that with a partner is, is life-changing. And within that, cultivating self-awareness, definitely remember that if your intention is to find pleasure with a real person, with a partner, 
you have to be careful about the hyper-stimulating that you're doing and the neural pathways that you're creating as a result, whether it be with vibrators or with um, more hardcore porn or porn at all for some people. Um, it's like having refined sugar all the time. When you have a raspberry, it's not going to taste sweet anymore. And so take it back to baseline and strive to operate from a place of power and truth when it comes to this subject and then trust your body okay i want to get through three more questions so i'm gonna start speeding it up a little bit the next question is how can i pleasure my woman this is um, a man that asked this question but i guess it just applies to pleasuring woman in general how can I tell if it's a two-part question how can I tell if she's faking an orgasm slash make sure she has a real one so the answer to this question is not sexy you're gonna have to learn how to communicate it's probably gonna be awkward um, if you're not used to it but there's really no other way um to answer this other than communicate with your partner. I know as a younger person, this was almost unheard of. It was a lot of assuming and a lot of faking it on my part, to be honest. And I realize how problematic that is in a relationship if you expect to be to experience pleasure through sex and through intimacy and this is a PSA to women if you're still faking orgasms you need to stop and men there's also on the on the flip side of that there's this pressure put on women to experience an orgasm during sex and the way that men and women climax is very different. For men, it's primarily a physical reaction. And for women, it's like a mind-body-soul thing. You know, even being stressed out can um, prevent a woman from climaxing. And I know personally one of the biggest shifts for me was not having that pressure anymore and I know when men put pressure on women like it's like it's the task that has to be accomplished that alone can prevent a woman from climaxing um, during sex like for women I'll speak from experience you have to feel safe you have to feel um safe enough to surrender because a big part of it is surrendering to the experience and letting go and stop trying to control things and operate from that masculine um, way of being of like the do the go the achieve the complete it's it's a flow and it's connecting to your breath and it's really being present in the moment and so if you feel pressure to accomplish something in that very masculine way um, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, one thing, one way that you can 
find out more about what your woman is into and what like turns her on because that is definitely a huge part of um, pleasure is actually knowing what the person wants if you're not comfortable speaking about it face to face is uh, sexting it's such a it's a fa- I mean I I'm a very I see things through a very anthropological lens most of the time and I find it fascinating to analyze habits from like a third party point of view and when it comes to sexting um I could do a whole episode on this topic alone and I'm trying not to laugh just cuz I find it very funny to analyze things in this way, but it's just how my brain works. Anyways, it's a great way to know what someone's into without the being confronted by blatantly asking them. So if you're in a position to have this type of like sexual texting conversation with someone and you're in, like, it's, it's going in that direction, ask them what you they want you to do to them and it's just a great way to have a less confronting awareness of what this person is into sexually and and yeah sexting is it fascinates me conceptually I think it's so interesting a subject And it does also relate back to the fact that to pleasure a woman, it essentially starts as soon as her last orgasm. It's a mind, it's like a mind-body thing for women. So the, the, as soon as you finish having sex, right, session's over, then you're pressing record on arousal for the next one. So sexting is an example of foreplay and so is listening to her when she's sharing her emotions and holding space for her if she's having a hard day. Um, So is making her laugh. So is being interested in her. Like I find men generally have an easier time kind of flipping into that mode and like sex starts as soon as they get an erection or that's when the like being turned on starts but for women it's like a deep multifaceted thing so definitely communication um, to learn what she specifically wants which again is going to require her having awareness of what she likes and um feeling comfortable and safe enough with you to actually share the depths of these things so yeah the way you have sex is the way you live your life that like sex life is so indicative of a relationship in general because communication permeates all aspects of the relationship and so there's no reason why if 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 i'm getting a massage you know, from someone, I have no qualms being like, actually, yeah, stay there. Like, I like that, like harder on, you know, on my, on my traps or no, I don't like that. And then all of a sudden when it translates to, to sex and intimacy, it's like 
undiscussed. So if you want to bring pleasure to your partner, communicate with them. And also don't put pressure on them to achieve anything because there's so much more to intimacy than there is to orgasm. And ironically, in taking the pressure away from that is when the likelihood of it happening actually increases. Okay, next question is sleeping with an ex, yay or nay? Uh, Okay, as a general rule, nay, a hard nay. And if you think you're an exception to the rule, you're probably not. So the issue with this dynamic is that one person is always going to be doing this to get back in a relationship. I've never seen it any other way. Um, So it's important here to get really real with yourself um, about your intention and what you're trying to achieve through this. Someone shared with me actually on Instagram how even um, the attempt to get closure with a partner, like to meet up to have one last like closure conversation, when she took a step back, she realized all she was trying to do was to convince him to stay in a relationship with her. And you shouldn't try and convince anyone to be in a relationship with you. Like if that's your go-to or you think that by sleeping with them, they'll fall in love with you or that if you just have another chance to communicate with them, like they're going to see the situation in a different way. Congratulations, you have trauma to heal because codependency, if codependency is attractive to you, it's because you experienced that in adults when you were a child adults around you were in codependent relationships and so it was normalized to you and so that's what you're attracted to and it's not healthy it's not a healthy relationship if someone else if your worth is in the hands of someone else's hands and that wasn't even english but i'm just going to continue on because editing that is too much of a mindfuck but yeah if your worth is in the hands of someone else is what I should have said that's not the foundation for a healthy relationship because then you're always constantly having to tailor who you are to satisfy this person's uh, perception of you or what they want so that you can continue to feel worthy accepted and loved which is no way to live so just reprogram your brain Actually, you know what? Instead of answering question number eight, I will share with you the type of meditation that I've been doing to actually do this type of work, to reprogram your your neural pathway. But just to wrap up this question, I think the only time that it would be fine to reconnect with an ex like just for sex would be if both of you have fallen in love with someone else and then are now single again like if there's that much distance from the relationship itself then maybe there's potential to just have something casual 
if that's what you want. You have to check in with what it is you want in a partner, even as a vision for your life in general. Like if you say yes to casual flings when what your heart and soul want is a long-term loving relationship, you're blocking yourself off energetically from creating the kind of life that you desire. And if you find yourself consistently going back to these types of relationships, flings, hookups, one night stands, and that's not what your heart actually desires, then there's just work to be done. And that's fine because we develop patterns without knowing any better. And as adults, it's our responsibility to change the way that we operate and the things that we attract into our life. So yeah, I'll finish by explaining a little bit the type of meditation work that I'm doing to reprogram these new neural pathways um, with the type of reactions that I would prefer to have in my day-to-day life uh, as an adult. There are so many different online programs, uh, courses, different teachers that essentially teach the same thing in slightly different ways. And yeah, like I said, it's about giving yourself new new software. Um, Like we've discussed with masturbation or porn, if you're overstimulating yourself, the neural pathways that are developed that then require that same degree of stimulation are going to be pretty deep Um, but by on a physical plane by removing things like vibrators or porn from your life you get to reconnect and get back in touch with a very subtle nature of your being and yeah it's a total reset it happens Um, at Vipassana, the 10-day silent meditation retreats, when you leave um, these retreats having been so unstimulated whatsoever for 10 whole days and nights, the light is brighter, noises are so uh, intense, everything, like it's it's your sensory gating mechanism that actually lowers. And this is a very primal reaction that we have the sensitivity is when people live out in nature and are hunting they have to be so hyper vigilant not only for survival from attacks from wild animals or other tribes but also for catching food you have to be very attuned to smells and sounds and movement and because we tend to live in a very stimulated world you know always with screens and noise and music and talking and bright lights artificial lights hyper palatable foods we our body puts up this like protection barrier around us so that we become dull to the very subtle sensations that this world uh, offers us when we live more in tune with nature and yeah, palette-wise, it's it's so noticeable if you've ever done a water fast. My longest fast, um, it's honestly it was too long, but it was 14 days. And even after a three-day fast, you're 
your taste buds. You're going to consume a piece of fruit and your brain's going to explode. It's like the most incredible sweet thing you've ever tasted. Whereas, yeah, if you're eating processed foods all day long, you lose that ability. So neural pathway reprogramming when it comes to emotional stuff is a little bit more complicated because most of us have no experience with this this stuff but it is a deeply scientific and proven science it's neuroplasticity it's psychology it's it's there there's it's been studied um but the the missing piece for most people is that it's not the same for every person and so fasting is going to increase your palate sensitivity no matter who you are if you stop watching porn um, you're going to become more in tune with the subtle nature of your sexuality and arousal no matter who you are but when it comes to trauma and reacting and emotions just because you feel heartbroken or you feel pain or you feel angry or you feel sad there's no linear path back to what you have to do to heal that is going to apply to everyone the method is the same for everyone but it requires requires doing the work and depending how deep these pathways are rooted it's going to require more work for some than others but so the way that i'm doing it at the moment is uh, getting into a really relaxed state it can be useful to like take a bath or a hot shower or have a little just five minute quiet meditation go for a walk sit out in nature get a massage and so when you're in this relaxed state um, to cover your eyes so that it feels dark and sit up straight you can do it lying down but for a long time I was doing it lying down and I would often fall asleep which is fine because I redid the same meditation in the morning but to get the most out of it you want to stay awake throughout you can listen to binaural beats um, or meditation music just to kind of lull you into that deeper delta state Um, and so there's so there's a huge variety of ways to do this but just one general example is that you can take something that has triggered you in your present day or something that is a recurring trigger so if you feel that people always do something to you that's a big sign that there's deeper roots so so one quick rewind actually there it's useful to journal before you put yourself through this exercise um, to just take a few minutes and isolate the emotions that so isolate the situation first and then isolate the emotions that you're feeling um, as a result. So if something is making you feel uh, angry or frustrated or sad or heartbroken, and then from there, flesh out the deeper truth. And I mean, I essentially it's going to be um, feeling unlovable, unworthy, or unsafe. Those seem to be the three really deep-rooted base chakra um, emotions. And then, so now with awareness of those emotions and of the situation, take yourself into a really relaxed state. Um, Yeah, potentially with meditation music and really quiet the mind and 
if you feel the emotion in your body, just sit with where you're feeling it. If it hurts in your heart or your gut or it's weighing on your mind. And take yourself back to the first memory you have in this lifetime of feeling that way. So even if it's you felt it again recently, um, two weeks prior or a month prior, but the more relaxed you are and the more, um, yeah, it's, it's a self-hypnosis. So the deeper you can get into a relaxed state, the farther back your memory is going to go. And then you're going to want to reprogram the situation. And there's quite a few ways of doing this. Um, you're essentially giving your subconscious a new story so that when you're operating your in your day-to-day life, you have another way to react to your situation that is more empowering, grounded, and uh, controlled, more joyful. So uh, I'll give you an example. I think an example is probably the easiest way. So a trigger example would be um, if I get frustrated or hurt at someone who is misunderstanding my intention, this actually happened pretty recently. Um, I'm a rather deadpan, like dark, sarcastic type of humor kind of person. And I find, I won't get too into it, but anyways, I make some pretty outrageous jokes, um, on Instagram and people of course are interpreting these things through the filter of their own reality and a girl that I've known for a very long time lost her shit on me to put it very lightly and accused me of like being very hateful things and it really hit my heart in a very deep place because I knew I know my intention and I know the way she perceives me and there's a big disconnect there and so the um and yeah so emotionally feeling rejected feeling misunderstood and feeling um unsafe unlovable unworthy of her love and placing i mean yeah i won't go i won't take it any further than that it's not necessary so being aware of those emotions I can take myself through um, really relaxed states. Um, there's so many guided meditations online too that that lead you through to get you into a deeper hypnotic state. I might even record one for you guys as a separate episode that you can listen to to do this type of work. Um, but the memory that came up was, I would have been about six years old in primary school a girl brought a pencil to show and tell that was shaped like, I think it was a cactus. Um, So straight at the bottom, but the tip had like a whole like design of a cactus. And I had pencils like that at home, but they were bendy. And so when she gave me her pencil to like hold and look at, I snapped it because my similar looking pencils were all like malleable. Anyways, the teacher at the time uh, she was, the girl was super upset and the teacher accused me of maliciously breaking her pencil and sent me to the principal's office. I was fully traumatized by this, this experience 
And, you know, we look at trauma, we often refer to trauma as being these severe examples, which of course those are very deep rooted neural pathways and they're rooted, um, you know, sexual or physical abuse. There's going to be a lot of things to unravel there, um, which can totally be unraveled by the way. But as a protection mechanism, when people hurt our hearts or make us feel unsafe, unworthy, or unlovable, we learn to react in a certain way. And so having dealt with that as a, at a young age and then being accused of being like evil, in my adult life, until I learn to reprogram that memory, I'm going to react in a way where I'm not in control of my emotions anymore or where I feel helpless or disempowered where I become the victim uh, of other people's perceptions of me which is just not a healthy way to navigate as an adult and so to reprogram while you're in this very relaxed state there's a few different things you can do but essentially you have to rewrite the memory and finding the the key way to rewrite it is going to be so individual Um, one way you can do it is completely changing the way that the situation happened so um there still has to be the incident of course like you don't want to pretend that like bad things don't happen because they do but it's your way of reacting that changes so you can try for my example i break the pencil and this girl uh gets upset and then a young me you know six-year-old me goes oh this was a mistake I didn't mean to do this on purpose and she goes oh that's and you know I explain as a six-year-old I have bendy pencils which I did at the time but no one believed me I had bendy pencils and I thought it was that I'm sorry and then in your memory in this like relaxed state you can then respond from the girl being like oh it was a mistake that's okay like we all make mistakes or The teacher intervenes in the scenario and goes, oh, like, and then tries to mediate with using nonviolent communication tactics, which is a great book by Marshall Rosenberg, saying um, to express wants and needs. So both parties express, like, she felt hurt because it's her pencil, and then I I apologize, and it was a mistake, and it wasn't my intention, and then there's conflict resolution. The key is conflict resolution, and that you feel like you were seen and that your wants and needs were met. In that moment another one can be uh, a caregiver stepping in so literally a parent would this actually happened um anyways a parent can step in 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 this memory coming in and, and standing up for you or you can come in and stand up for yourself so this to me is the most profound um way to reprogram is As an adult in my 29-year-old body, I step into the classroom and I protect the younger me. And I get down on my knees and I look into my inner, like my childhood eyes and say, I know your intention. I know you made a mistake. Um, You're not a bad person. You, you know, you, it was just a mistake. And I see you and I hear you and I love you and you're worthy and you're safe. And then embrace your, your child, like inner child, give them a hug and literally the emotions that you can feel if you do this practice enough is transformative. It's the coolest thing ever to experience. And it might not take one meditation. It could take quite a few 
depending how um, much of your identity is clinging to this this pain that you experienced. Um, but it's profound and it's so accessible to everyone. Uh, there's so many people that have paid online courses. I will compile a bunch of resources to do some inner child guided healing work, but I also think I'll I'll speak a guided meditation that you can listen to, to to do some of this stuff at home because I don't think that this type of healing should be inaccessible to anyone. I think it should be very accessible and when you start to notice how profound the shifts are in your day-to-day life, most notably with your self-worth, it becomes addictive. Like you, you reach a point where genuinely every time your heart hurts or every time you get frustrated or angry it's like yes I have something to work with um I have a genuine gift that I get to use as a way to communicate with my younger self and explore and reprogram something that I never learned properly or I didn't I wasn't able to integrate or I rejected an aspect of myself and yeah it's super cool so hopefully that was useful at least as a primary like initial gateway into understanding the kind of work that I've been doing on myself and that is so accessible to all people um, as a way of taking back your power so yeah I'm gonna leave it at that today because I didn't intend on speaking this long but yeah that's it for now i'm so open to exploring sexuality and any taboo subject to be honest i think i'm gonna do it next time with a guest because i especially with these subjects i think it's fascinating to have a bit of a two-person dynamic and it allows for deeper conversations but i hope you enjoyed this second podcast i have a pop filter now on my mic so hopefully the sound is a little bit better and yeah i'm learning i'm so excited about the positive feedback that you guys have given me so far i'm mind blown by how many people have listened it's daunting especially subjects like this like knowing that family members are listening Um, some of my closest friends it is also very touching and I yeah I'm so excited for the future of this podcast and this new chapter of my life so thanks for being a part of it and yeah I'll talk to you soon bye